There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Dennis Walto, the CEO of Children's Health Fund, an organization whose mission is to bring health care directly to homeless and low-income children and their families. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, thank you. Great to be with you both. Well, Dennis, we are excited to have you on to talk about your organization. First, we'd love to hear a little bit about your career path and how you actually chose to get into the field. Well, I, I think, uh, first of all, again, it's an honor to, uh, to be on your show and uh, very much looking forward to our conversation today. Um, my own career path uh, in this line of work is really a, a long and winding road. Uh, but briefly, you know, it, it comes as a result of attending four undergraduate colleges and universities, then graduating from a fifth. Uh, some people say that I was a geography major. I'm not quite sure if that is, uh, is accurate. Um, but I, I began this particular career after that really as a political organizer and advance man. And as an advance man, you hit the ground running, you make friends, uh, and you don't burn bridges. Uh, you need to be able to assess the situation quickly, make uh, informed decisions, and then kind of lead the way for uh, your candidate or your cause as it is. Um, and so that particular foundation really led me to, by the time I was 30 years old, I'd probably worked in about 30 or 35 states um, and had a bit of a national network of activists and influencers, you know, owing to work in uh, the political environment and, and social activist environment that I was in. Um, I had the opportunity in 1992 to go overseas and made a, a bit of a jump from uh, working in uh, with homeless families here in New York, in fact, with Children's Health Fund, oddly enough, um, to working with a group called International Medical Corps, uh, working as a administrator and logistician uh, for their relief efforts in Somalia. And um, it really, you know, you think about work in, uh, in poverty in the United States and work in war zones, and I, I have to say, that there is some parity inside there. And, uh, you know, the ability to take the skills that I had been honing to hit the ground running, to um, work closely with people, to uh, get them to see the value in what they're doing and, and to get the most out of them. Uh, and they, if they can see you doing the same, uh, it really became this uh, a common cause and you know the jump going from anti-poverty work to work in uh, on the front lines really of uh, relief in a relief environment um, really wasn't as broad as I thought it might be. So you know that that's 1992. So we're, we're talking what 25, 26 years ago, and over the course of you know those couple of decades, I went from a frontline relief worker, uh, again uh, on the front lines delivering humanitarian services to more of a, a front office uh, executive and everything in between there. So learning uh, operations, learning finance, learning human resources, all from a practitioner's perspective. And I think I've, I've tried to bring, you know, those same qualities and those same listening skills uh, into my work now as the CEO of Children's Health Fund, where I, I took over about two years ago. 
That's excellent. Dennis, Go ahead, just sorry. Dennis, I'm interested, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but why the focus on um, healthcare and medicine? What drew you to that? You know, it, it's interesting because I don't really have a medical background. I'm not a doctor. By, by training, I don't have an MPH. Um, but I know about the user side. And in fact, in my first work uh, with healthcare for the homeless back, again, uh, two, 20, 30 years ago, um, I was looking at accessing healthcare services from a user perspective. How does that homeless mom or homeless dad or, or homeless family find services that they can access that are continuity oriented, that, that matter to them? You know, if you build it, they will come, may have worked uh, for a, a baseball and, and for that dream, but it doesn't work in healthcare and it doesn't work for clinics, um, especially in, in poverty rich settings. You've got to be able to to provide access and to bridge that gap. And it doesn't mean opening a clinic, it means going out and knocking on that door or bringing the healthcare right to where um, those children and families live and learn. Got it. Dennis, you mentioned uh, the listening skills that you either acquired or you really honed. Had you always been a good listener or, or was it more learned? Um, I, I think we all learn to listen more and talk less. Uh, and so while I'd, I would like to believe that I was always a, a good listener, um, I think it is something that uh, in leadership roles, certainly you need to be able to do and to be an active listener uh, and, and to be really deliberate in making sure that people know that they're heard and, and also then taking actions based on being an informed decision maker. You know, in, in my role now as the chief executive officer of a healthcare organization, again, I'm not a doctor. So I'm listening all the time to the, the advice that my medical directors or my program directors are giving by way of which direction or strategies we need to follow. Um, and I'm incorporating other you know, elements that, uh, of information that are also important, whether that's finance or my own uh, understanding of community organizing and community development. But then you know, together, you hope as a leader to be able to make that informed decision. And so, uh, yeah, I'm listening more and, and talking less as I get older. <laughs> Two ears and one mouth, right? You know, my dad said it a long time ago. He said, you know, the, the, the Lord gave you two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. And there is great wisdom in that design. Oh, very much. <laughs> so I, the learnings in every one of the roles that you've had, I, I'm confident are immense in I apologize. How many years have you been the CEO? Uh, just two years. I, I came a year and a half, actually. I Got it. came to the Children's Health Fund as executive director uh, in November of 2015. And then the board uh, appointed me CEO in June, about a year ago. Wonderful. So yeah. it's been, roughly speaking, three years that you've been with the organization. I'm curious, what are three of the, the biggest things you've learned over the past three years? You know, I was I was thinking about this question and um, wondering if there were, you know, the light bulbs that go off in your head. And many times it's, you know, a new learning is an affirmation, right? It's an affirmation like running water makes still water move. You know, isn't isn't that a parable that that we've all seen and appreciated a hundred times in our lives? But, you know, inertia will kill you. Um, and and what, what it said to me was that, you know, if, if you're in a, a crisis situation, whether it's a, a budget or you just need to make an, an informed decision, then, you know, you need to act. 
And there comes a time when a leader has to make that informed decision and stand by it um, and then go with it. And, you know, your team is going to be on the bus with you. And so, you know, that that parable of uh, running water makes still water move is something that I try to live every day here. And it's a it's a big lesson that's been affirmed to me. Um, a second one is that I need to keep surrounding myself with people who challenge me and who know more than I do. Uh, I may be the chief decision maker or chief executive officer, but I'm not the smartest guy on the team. And I wanna surround myself with people who are smarter than me, who know more than I do about their field and be able to trust in, in their judgment and in their recommendations. So, uh, you know, lesson number two, surround yourself with people who challenge you, don't surround yourself with people who agree with you all the time. Um, and then the third biggest thing that uh, that I've learned is, boy, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, I am uh, by no means a, uh, a finished product. And that uh, I, I guess it's my my own aspiration that I can continue to to listen and learn and act uh, in a way that is worthy of those people giving so much around me. Well, those are excellent. Those are excellent. And if, if, if we could all all take that advice and those lessons that you learned, I think that we'd all be in a, in, in, in a far better spot. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. No worries. No worries. Dennis, do you find that other CEOs uh, share that? I had a um, one of my first, um, I guess, big jobs after college was with the foundation and the CEO. She always said, you know, I'm doing great work, but it's because of this team that I have around me. And she said exactly what you said, which is I surround myself with people that are smarter than me and they just level me up and help me um, appear to be almighty and all confident. But it's really the folks that I surround myself with. So I'm glad that you you drove that home today. That's really good advice. Uh, and I think that successful CEOs increasingly, you know, those are the skills. I mean, we can be introverts or extroverts, but we've got to be good listeners and we've got to have trust in those people that are the the inner circle and then beyond the inner circle, you know, building that culture uh, of listening. And one of the things that uh, that I've really been a big advocate for is an appreciative and collective uh, leadership model. It's a model that talks about looking for what's right, not what's wrong, asking the question what's working and doing more of it as opposed to what's broken. Uh, you know, a lot of times, especially in medicine, the tendency is to be diagnostic, right? That's when you go into the doctor, they, they want to fix you. Well, organizations are not a problem to be solved. They're a dream to be realized. And that's the approach that I bring in every single day. I'm an asset-based leader. I want to look for what's good in my employees and in my team. And I want to bring those skills up and out. I want other people to see that, that they've got room to grow and that their voices are heard. And I think, you know, taking an asset-based approach using uh, appreciative inquiry as uh, a change management model is something that is, is very relevant for today because, as you mentioned, uh, even after the last election cycle, I just got tired of hearing what went wrong. Uh, I want to know, especially from an organizational perspective, what's working, what went right, what do we need to fill our day with to get us in the direction we want to go. Well, I know that how you look at something makes all the difference in life. And so, like you're talking about, you focus on what's working versus what's broken. I mean, your, your perspective and your outlook on everything is going to be so different. So, I'm, I'm not familiar with appreciative inquiry. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
Um, sure. Well, appreciative inquiry is a, a change management approach uh, that, again, asks the question, what's right and what's working? Um, it doesn't view human beings or organizations as a problem to be solved, uh, but more as a, a dream to be realized. So um, it says a lot about how you approach any issue or it, it instructs you to, to not look at phrasing questions negatively um, because you're going to end up you know, when someone says to you what's wrong, um, you know, you're, you're going to get a litany of, of ailments. If someone asks you what's right and what's working, you're going to get a very different set of answers, right? It's like the old question, you know, can a paraplegic drive a car? How can a paraplegic drive a mm. car? You're going to get very different answers. So appreciative inquiry is all about asking the question in a way that you're going to receive information you can use, Right. And then as opposed to being diagnostic, it's dialogic. You engage whoever it is that you're speaking with in that conversation and allow them to be part of forming and creating that solution to, you know, the, the, uh, the challenge you've put in front of you. Excellent. Well, right off the top, um, I, shared with, I shared with our listeners the mission of your group. So we'd love to hear more about the vision or the impact or really what it is that you guys are working on? Um, well, Children's Health Fund believes um, that all children deserve access to high quality health care, not just those that, that we see, uh, but every child across the country and, and ultimately across the world. Um, our mission right, is that we deliver high quality health care to America's most disadvantaged children. We are the, uh, our, the Children's Health Fund Network is the largest provider of mobile-based primary care for vulnerable children in America. Wow. Um, so our model looks at fully outfitting a doctor's office on wheels, making that, that doctor's office part of a local health system so we don't own or operate programs around the country. We partner. We partner with uh, Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, with uh, a federally qualified health center in Mississippi, or the University of Miami in Southern Florida. And it's, those mobile clinics are based at those institutions. The providers are uh, employees. Um, they do billing, they bill Medicaid, they bill insurance. Um, and those programs, though, are designed to go out and to reach children and their families where they live. That could be a homeless shelter, a mountain holler, or a street youth, right? Uh, could be on the street where they learn. We have uh, partnerships with schools all across the country um, where the, the mobile clinic will go uh, and have a partnership with the school district to be able to uh, provide primary care or a specialty care right to those kids where they learn and where they play. That might be a boys and girls club or a community center. But in every case, um, it is integrated. That mobile clinic is integrated into the community. And it's also part of a medical home model where any um, medical record or anything identified on the mobile clinic that they can't address can be addressed through the wider uh, association and affiliation with the health center or the hospital. Dennis, I think you uh, touched on this a bit, but I'm, I'm especially curious to have you talk a little bit about the social determinants of health, especially in those situations. I um, have the great privilege of serving on a board of a network of community health centers. And we talk a lot about, you know, it's not just 
looking at what someone's eating or some things that are ailing them. It looks at housing and transportation and um, the socioeconomic pieces of it. So talk a little bit about how your organization helps get ahead of that and what you're doing to address it. Well, um, certainly let's let's look at social determinants of health and, and really go upstream. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Nadine Burke Harris's uh, work, and uh, she just wrote a book called The Deepest Well. And that really looks at adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs, and how, you know, these experiences as a child, um, adverse experiences manifest themselves as illnesses, not only throughout childhood, but throughout life. Uh, people who have experienced adverse childhood experiences when they were young, you know, as they get older, you're finding higher rates of cancer, of diabetes, all kinds of ailments um, disproportionate to those who may not have experienced those same levels of adverse childhood experiences when they were young. And the, and the science is in on this. And so, so what do we need to do now? We, we know what the science is telling us. These social determinants uh, of health, right, what is it within a community or, or within a family household um, is going to be negatively impacting um, their ability to, to survive and thrive, right? And so what we want to do and, and healthcare is only one, one pillar, right, of a whole child. That child needs access to education. They need safety and, and security. Uh, they, they need healthcare. Um, there's, there's a whole realm uh, that they will need to, again, survive and thrive. But what we feel is that the Children's Health Fund can help uh, that child and that family to access high quality healthcare. Because we know that if you're healthy and you're in that classroom, you're ready to learn. Right. So being healthy and ready to learn is really fundamental to our business model, because we know that education is that that key that unlocks the door out of poverty. It's that pathway. So let's make sure that those kids are healthy. We start early. Um, they're healthy. They're in that classroom. They, they can see the board. They can hear the teacher. Their asthma is under control. If there are any mental health issues, uh, we're, we're able to address those uh, if they have hunger or um, other uh, things that are that are impacting them, dental pain. We want to make sure that those kind of health barriers are identified, that they're immediately addressed and that they're managed, uh, because those are going to be the key fundamentals that that child needs to get a good education, again, to be healthy and ready to learn. Excellent. So just so I, I, I fully understand, in a city or uh, let's let's just use that as an example in in Los Angeles at, at schools that that you've determined or a school district that you've determined are in need a physical bus will show up that is like a mobile clinic and kids can actually before school or whenever get on the bus and receive treatment yeah so uh, let me let me back up and, and just say that um, those communities that are children's health fund partners, our first of all, you know, our, our number one criteria is to find a partner who is already integrated into the community. In Los Angeles, you know, that partner is Cedar Sinai. Cedar Sinai has a great relationship um, with communities in Watts. They've been there for a long period, and so our partner in Los Angeles is Cedar Sinai. The mobile clinics, um, which are a joint project of Children's Health Fund and Cedars go down to like the Florence Joyner uh, Elementary School and provide services right from that location. It's a fully outfitted doctor's office on wheels. 
there's point of care testing, uh, electronic health records, anything that you would find in your doctor's office, these mobile clinics are outfitted with. And so again, that's Los Angeles. If we go to West Virginia, we have a, a partner there from a federally qualified health center. And that mobile clinic goes out into the, the rural mountain hollers uh, of West Virginia. And they're out there at schools or at community centers. So those children that are um, at those centers, right, their parents uh, opt in. We, we don't, you know, obviously see kids without uh, parents' permission and ideally in the presence of those parents. So um, th that child can be seen, they can be screened. Uh, we can be prescribing and even have some medications on board to make sure that they walk away, you know, better than when they came on. Incredible. So I, I have to imagine that technology is making your work easier, but I'll just ask the question, how is technology impacting your work? Um, well, it's, well, it obviously is making making it easier. And let's harken back 30 years to one of our uh, first forays into the world of technology. And it'll sound uh, a little bit, uh, you know, maybe primitive, but it was primitive at the time, uh, but now it's standard, right? So we have these big blue mobile medical clinics, the doctor's office on wheels, and it goes to the same places every week, right? So it's a, it's a continuity-based services. We want to be seeing, you know, patients and we want to be their medical home. Um, but we found that as we added more and more patients to our database, right, we weren't able to carry the patient records, right? It's a mobile clinic. It's, right. There's only so much room for, for files. So uh, necessity being the mother of innovation at this point, we were uh, given a contract by the city of New York to design the very first electronic health record system in the city. Hmm. Uh, why? Because we couldn't carry all the patient records on the mobile clinic. And so, you know, that little piece of innovation really allowed us and, and uh, enabled us to have electronic health records of kids, even if they were moving between shelters, if they had ever been to see us, we had it. If they had ever been to Montefiore, uh, our partner, we would have their medical record on board. So, I mean, I, I think that technology has, has greatly enabled us even going back 30 years. Looking at today, um, I would say that telehealth is revolutionizing our entire industry, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are states that are still kind of boggled down in how you bill for services, but there are platforms now that are technology enriched and safe to use. Uh, where you have a provider like a pitcher-catcher relationship uh, and you're able to uh, access specialty care even if you're two hours away from the hospital. Um, we have a, a program in Nevada, in fact, that right now is uh, on the forefront of using telehealth as a, a mental health bridge. And so you've got counselors who can be in one spot who can be seeing 15 or 20 different kids a day right from their own living room. And have, it, it just it expands services and it allows us to reach more kids uh, in more places, even being stationary. For lack of a better term, that could be a, a real game changer. So it's very exciting. I think it is. It is a game changer. And, and it is, you know, even looking at WebMD and some of the other platforms, uh, you know, telehealth is and telemedicine um, are, are upon us. And uh, not only it, is that kind of curative upon us, 
but all of the wearables that we have now allow us, you and I and, and our, our patients, um, to have the information at our disposal to make healthy decisions. You know, give people the resources and the tools, you know, to make healthy choices, and we're all going to be a lot better off. If, the more we can get away from a curative healthcare system to one that's, you know, empowering and giving people the, the resources, information, and tools they need um, to make healthy choices for them and their family, we're all going to be better off. No doubt. Dennis, I'd love for you to um, just give a very brief kind of, I think, because conceptually people um, or rather listeners can understand that. But if you could really bring this home with a just a quick story about a kiddo that came through or um, a family that has been impacted by the work of your organization, I'd really love to hear that. Sure. Um, well, you know, we've been uh, doing, my goodness, we've, we've been going out and reaching children uh, where they live for a long time. And many times, um, as we, you know, see see someone new or, or for the first time, it'll be the first health screening that they've had in maybe even a couple of years. And this could be, this was the case with a, a little girl, and I, I won't um, give you her name, but a, a girl that we saw on the mobile unit from a, uh, a homeless shelter um, about a year or two years ago. Um, you know, we had been uh, speaking to her mom beforehand. She had mentioned that she was really concerned. Her, her daughter had been, you know, an excellent student. She was around seven or eight years old. Um, she had been excellent in school, but lately um, the teacher had noticed that she wasn't really paying attention. Her, her grades were slipping, her attention was slipping, and the mother was very, very concerned. Um, and so it, it didn't take long when we were giving this child a, a, an exam there at, at the shelter for us to recognize uh, and even from the mom's information, that that child had missed her well child appointment two years in a row. And this was the first time in three years that the child was actually seeing a pediatrician. Um, and she had had a, um, an ear infection at some point over the course of that, had been treated for it, um, but had left it a kind of a, a chronic uh, ailment in her ear, and she had some hearing loss. Well, that hearing loss was manifesting in the classroom as being disinterested. She couldn't hear what was going on. Um, we were able through our, our managed care system um, to identify that hearing loss and enable the mom to be able to, to get the hearing support and the tubes that help that child start hearing again. When we saw her again six months later, um, you know, 180 degree reversal in school. Um, that child was kind of back to the front of the room, back to the head of the class, and, you know, you had a very happy mother and daughter in that mobile clinic. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Well, and that's, you know, those are the, the small stories. And, you know, when we talk about we reach 100,000 unique kids every year, 300,000 times, those are the statistics. But I think and I appreciate you, um, Centauri, thank you for asking that, because it's those stories where we humanize it. And, you know, for that little girl, that doctor's appointment made all the difference. And we can do that for 100,000 kids. Awesome. Incredible. So, Dennis, um, final question for you, sir. Knowing that the whole world would hear you, what plea would you make to them? You know, I was, uh, I was recently in Memphis, and I was there. I was incredibly fortunate to be there on uh, April 4th this past year, the 50th anniversary of the uh, Martin Luther King uh, assassination. 
And I wasn't there by design on that day, but I, I was there almost by chance. We have a program in Memphis. Um, I was there working with the program, but I found myself uh, in Memphis on the morning of April 4th. And Martin Luther King has been uh, maybe one of the, the people that I, I most admire. And he said at one point, of all the forms of inequality, healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. And I could not agree more. Um, as a country, for us to be playing political football with children's health, for us to hold up funding for the child health insurance plan or to threaten Medicaid is an injustice. And it just says to us, you know, we need to call within ourselves um, the better angels of what we do and to make sure that we're leveling that playing field and giving every child the opportunity to be, to be healthy and to be ready to learn and to go through life, you know, with uh, the optimism that we all and promise that we all want them to have. So if, if I could say one thing, uh, you know, if I could make one plea, what would it be? Is that uh, don't don't use healthcare as a political football. A child's a child's dream is our dream. Their future is our future, and they're not just tomorrow; they're today. That is powerful, sir. I appreciate that very much. And you know, I I honestly had. Just we get so wrapped up in the politics and the back and forth, and it is it is like a political football, talking about healthcare and to to view it in terms of really dealing with 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 our children is is the proper way to think about it and, and the proper way to look at it. So I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Well, Satari, what have we forgotten to talk about, sir? Hit all the things I could geek out on this all day, but uh, for the purposes of this conversation, thank you, Dennis, for uh, for allowing us to speak with you. Uh, what a pleasure uh, to speak with both of you, uh, Centauri, George. Wish you uh, all the best in this platform, and uh, you know, keeping keep bringing out the good in people. There's uh, there's a lot of good out there, and we just need to shine that light. I appreciate that very much. And Dennis, uh, I, I guess I I I was incorrect. One more question: How can people get involved with your group? Where, where would you like to send people to, to, to learn more about it? www.childrenshealthfund.org. Um, all the information is there. Uh, you know, we need your hearts and your hands. Uh, we need your support. Uh, you know, sign up, get, get the alerts. We'll keep you updated on, on what we're doing, where we're going. And, uh, you know, at Children's Health Fund, we'd like to say we go the extra mile. <laughs> and uh, with our mobile clinics, that's... Uh, that's a real literal sense. We, we got to put gas in that tank. We appreciate all the support we can get. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. All right. And thanks, as always, for listening. Please do subscribe, leave a review, and as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.